0: You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. All throughout the scripture, uh, the Bible is full of pretty amazing people. And so we see people like David, um, warrior, great king, a man after the heart of God. He was just a fierce warrior. We all know him. Even if you didn't really grow up in church, you still know the story of David and Goliath and how he took down this this huge mammoth mama-jama dude with a rock, right? We've we've heard about him. Uh, Moses, we look at Moses and he's a liberator and a leader of the Lord's people. He brings God's people out of Egypt. He tries to lead them into the promised land, uh, but he's just a fierce leader, fierce warrior. The Apostle Paul, um, again, even if you've never gone to church, you've heard the Apostle Paul, uh, leading apostle of the Gentiles, penned most of the New Testament, just a mighty, mighty man of God. We see uh, Mary, the mother of the incarnate King, faithful example. Just a strong picture of biblical womanhood. She she's she's she leads. She's faithful. She's submissive to God and King first. Whatever it is, whatever it be, whatever you say, I will do it. And she's a powerful woman. Now the legacy of their lives looked very different. Uh, I, I don't know why I do this, but I, I try to think like the moment before they had a run-in with the Lord, what did their life look like versus what does the legacy of their life look like that we know? And so if you look at all of them, David, a moment, the moment before he was uh, an, uh, he was uh, prophesied to be king, he was chosen by the Lord, what was he doing? He was an undervalued Shepherd's boy, that his daddy didn't even ask him to come to the party, the possibility. And so the moment before this run-in with the Lord, David was just a shepherd. Moses, what was he doing the moment before he had this run-in with the Lord, this burning bush? He was a guilt-ridden murderer, shepherding and hiding in the desert. So mighty Moses, the moment before he had a run-in with the Lord, he was saucy, as I will say. Paul, what was he doing the moment before his interaction, his encounter with the Lord that he finds on the road to Damascus? What was Paul doing? Well, he was helping murder and persecute and chase down Christians. He was a, he was a headhunter for people like us in his time. And what about Mary? The moment before she had this run in with the Lord where the angel came to her and said, listen, blessed are you and you have the Lord in your belly. What was she doing? She was just a faithful 14 ish year old girl getting married to a dude and about to probably walk into a very normal living life, nothing extravagant. Here's the deal. But when they met him, everything changed. Would you agree with that? When they met him, everything changed and they would never ever go back to the place they were at before they had that initial encounter with the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. Never again would David be somebody that was looked over. Would he be somebody that wasn't just without the fullness and the presence of God? Even when he made mistakes later, there was still redemption for him. Moses would never again be sitting there in the desert. Uh, He's in the desert, but he's not, at least he's trying to, Uh, shepherd knuckleheads and not worry about his own hate and sin and murder that he committed. Never again would he be in that spot of guilt. The apostle Paul went from crucifying Christians to being one of the leading apostles of all the nations that we are personally responsible for. He would never again go back to be this religious zealot that misunderstood the teachings of Jesus. And Mary was not going to be just some little uh, lady, this good housewife. She was a roaring lion and she would never go back to just living a normal life. We know for most part, as we look in the scriptures, Mary was there with Jesus every step of the way after his uh, death and his resurrection, Mary was faithful uh, until death. The moment, the point of this is, and as we walk through Advent is this, is that the moment that the Lord shows up in all of our lives and at every point in history, everything is changed forever. Everybody tracking with me? Everything will change forever. So uh, Christmas time every year, I get real nostalgic. I think about some of my yummy, yummy memories from growing up. And I think about uh, one particular year. There's many years. I was little. My mom was like, man, she was rad. We had we had we we celebrated idol Claws and all those kind of things. I got gifts. Idol Claws is Santa. <clears throat> Thank you. That's right. Some people are like, What? Uh, Yeah, you don't want to have a conversation with me about that guy. Anyway, uh, but, you know, pretty happy. But then later in life, later in life as I got older, uh, especially when in my teenage years, it was just a nightmare. Christmas just became a reminder of all the things that I didn't have, right? Christmas when I was was homeless and for a while and then uh, just in short stints, meaning I never slept on the street, but I was couch bouncing and stuff like that. And so just staying on people's couches. And then I finally moved into a friend's house of mine. His parents let me Rent out the basement. His dad was my boss at a, at a bakery called Carlucci's. Everybody say Carlucci. Carlucci. Carlucci's. It's a Canadian thing. We have real Italians there. Anyway, uh, and so I'm working, and I just remember it's Christmas Eve, and many of you have heard the story. Some of you haven't, but I'm sitting there watching. I'm in the basement. I'm on my couch. By the way, I lived on a couch for like eight years of my life, and I'm watching, um, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the Christmas movie? It's a Wonderful Life. And George is running through the streets. Merry Christmas, everybody. And, um, but I remember sitting there feeling so hopeless, literally with a bottle of Jack in my hand, 26 ounces, which, which is what I would drink in a sitting if I could stay awake that long, and a bottle of Pepsi to chase it. And I remember going, I want to die. I have nothing. And then in a moment, I get the celebration to look back on that Christmas, that Christmas Eve, that Advent season of my life, that what I thought was godless, but he was pursuing me the whole time. And I get to look back on that, and I said, man, the moment before the Lord injected himself into my life, I was a mess. But praise God, I am never going back there. That's what happens when we're followers of Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, that no matter what has happened in our past, the moment, I'm not talking about the first time you heard about him in Sunday school. I'm not talking about just knowing his name. I'm talking about having an actual run-in with the king of heaven where you say, glory to God, you can have my life. At that moment, nothing will ever be the same again. And then you are literally carried by the hands of God and we don't have to go back. We don't ever have to go back to those places of, of hopelessness and suicidal thoughts and drunkenness to satisfy my soul in momentary peace. We don't have to go back. We never have to go back. Y'all, that's what um, Advent is a reminder of. Advent is the celebration of the baby in the manger who fulfilled all of these promises from the Lord and the Lord himself. And now because of that, now we look to the second coming. That first coming for the ages was the moment before. And then after Jesus came, nothing would ever be the same. Looking ahead, we are in a new moment before, but There are things happening now that will change in a moment, and we will never have to go back, never have to know the sting of death again, heartache, or lostness, because he has injected himself into our lives. Advent, (laughs) Advent is a really weird time to look back on the days of brokenness and actually look back on those things and thank God. Advent is also a time to look at your current brokenness if you are not following Jesus yet or you are, but you're struggling and you have to place yourself back into that moment before mindset with Jesus because he's always on the verge of doing and moving and something in our lives. For those of you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus before, and I'm not talking about going to church, enough of that. We've already established that doesn't save anybody. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, at that moment, you will go from Hopelessness, brokenness, and death to new life. And you will never have to go back there again. Amen? That's what the Advent story should stir in our hearts to do. And so this morning, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Um, It's going to be long. It'll be up there. I'll probably, with my bad eyes, skip a few sentences if I get extra biblical. Tell me. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So Luke 2, one through 21, that's just the birth narrative, just the birth story. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns and to register, excuse me, to the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiance, who was now obviously pregnant. That's messed up. Maybe sister was just eating some extra ham for the holidays. I don't know. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. "'has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, "'and you will recognize him by the sign. "'You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth "'lying in a manger. "'Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, "'the armies of heaven praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in highest heaven "'and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased.'" And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It would just, it was just as the angel had told them. That is a great story in hindsight, or that's just a great story if you're just a nominal believer. Hey, that's the birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate, that's why we do Christmas. In the grander scheme of things, when we peel off the eyes of mediocrity and we look at the fullness of the story, that is a, I can't even explain it. Could you imagine what it would be to be one of the shepherds sitting there while the angels worshiped? Could you imagine just the the humility that you would have just to drop down on your face and give glory to God because the angels are praising? This injection in this moment in time is like a huge rip in the fabric of all existence of mankind. It's like the angels have been waiting to cry out, and they finally do, because this little one has been born, and it's not just a baby, it's the God of heaven and earth. They were waiting. Now you read the story, and you think like some shepherds are like, oh, there's some random kid being born. They knew exactly what was going on. They knew, they were longing for Messiah. They were longing for reprieve, and he was finally there. Don't read this so quickly where you go, hey, they went away and they were praising God, and people were astonished. They were praising God. People were blown away and questioning as we see as things go forward. Isaiah 7.14 says this. "This says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son in his name. And call, call him, call his name, Emmanuel. Does everybody know what Emmanuel means? It, it comes in in a couple big places, like Emmanuel, and, and then later, like we talk and we're talking about Hosanna in the triumphal entry. But what is what is what is what is Emmanuel? God with us. Finally, God with us. See when Jesus showed up. God's promises were unfolding. Heaven was erupting. Good news was brought to all people, and nothing was ever going to be the same. The presence of this little one in the manger, if I can even surmise all the things he was about to do, he was going to heal the sick and the lepers and the bleeders from the moment they met him. They were changed forever, and they they didn't go back, right? Their lives were changed, amen? Amen. He brought grace and love and hope to harlots and sinners. Women caught in adultery who, by all standards of the law, were supposed to be stoned and killed, and they were guilty. And never again would she have to walk in that because she had a run-in with the king of heaven. And in a moment, the moment before she had a run-in with him, she was a harlot and somebody worthy of death with scarlet letters on her. And the moment she met him, it all changed forever. Going to raise the dead, turn the religious world upside down, defeat death, send his spirit. He's the same one that's coming back for us. Um, I like to think a little bit this time of year on this adventi, and I'm not just saying this adventi. I just did. I make that up? Is that a thing? Can I run with that? Adventi. It's the plural of adventi. No. I didn't do well in grammar or in high school. And when I went to Ghetto Bible College, we didn't have to worry about proper grammar. Um, hmm? Canadian, well, we were born with, Canadians are very intelligent people, naturally. We barely need schooling. We just do that to appease people, right? Have you ever seen a dumb Canadian? Don't answer that question. But our education system is far beyond. Anyway, um, but, I, but I, I just, I just, like to stop. Like, I have to stop and look back, or I, I've become so self-consumed and absorbed sometimes. And I start, what happens is I start letting things in if I'm not on purpose and I'm not being on point. I start letting these things in, and then, y'all, I start feeling and acting like I'm living back in that moment before him. And that is one of the greatest tragedies in all of Christendom is when God's people who have been set free, they've had that moment with the Lord. They can have a daily moment with the Lord. We start digressing because we forget and we go back to living like we were hopeless and like we forgot that we have the answer and the breath of heaven in us. And so I'm gonna walk through a few of these things that some have already covered over, but I just want this to resonate with your heart. The first one is, the moment before we knew Jesus, we were desperate for him to come. We talked about the Hosanna word. It's a cry, an expression, an appeal uh, for divine help. So when you say Hosanna, and not just like sing a song, Hosanna, but Hosanna was a deep cry from the depths of your heart. And so we see that in, in Jesus's entry, Matthew 21, 9, and the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Listen, you got to read your Bible this way. The Old Testament in its entirety from Genesis 3 until the end of Malachi is the longing and the groaning of God's people Israel, longing for be, to be relieved of the weight of the curse. That's what it is. (laughs) It's what the temples are. It's what the tabernacle is. It's what all the feasts, all the festivals, all the remembrances, all of them are God's people longing and waiting for him to come. See, they desperately needed Jesus, whether they knew it or not. And so um, (laughs) I think about that for us. Think about it for a minute. How desperate were you? And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're sitting in this room and you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus, you are desperate. And I don't mean like you're desperate as in just weakness. I'm talking about you're desperate in the place where all of us were. Like look at trying to just claw your way and try to make things happen and trying to make relationships work and trying to self-medicate and over and over and over again. Listen, you are desperately desperately in need of a savior, whether you know it or not. Moments, the moments before I met Jesus, let me tell you who Rob Dans was. He's a man who was angry. He was a man who was lost. He was full of anxiety and fear in hopeless ways. He was in a marriage that was headed for destruction. I was a mess. And if you would have asked me if I was desperate for a savior, I would have said, bleep, no, I'm fine. That was what came out of my mouth. But everything in my soul was desperate for something else. And his name was Jesus. But the moment I met Jesus, that desperation was eradicated. And listen, never again would we have to be so desperate and lost. That has been eradicated out of my future. Hopeless desperation and lostness are never again. Well, what about if I feel like it? Okay, there's a difference between what's truth and reality and how you feel, And there are a lot of days where I still feel desperate. (laughs) I still feel hopeless. That's a mind problem. That's not a truth problem. That's not reality. Reality is I am saved and in the hands of the God of heaven. My marriage is covered by him. My children are covered by him. The church is covered by him. Never again will I be susceptible to that being my reality, and neither will you. Next one is um, the moment um, before we met Jesus, we couldn't rescue ourselves. This is, this is what I love about Advent was, you know, if you, you can't see the manger uh, properly as a believer without seeing the shadow of the cross overlaying it. Like what was in that manger wasn't, oh, baby Jesus, Christmas time, let's have ham, right? I'm really pushing the ham thing because I hate turkey for Christmas. I like ham. Just remember that, okay? Tonight, A spiral hand, praise God, amen? But you cannot see, if you see the manger, if you think about it, you're like, oh, God's just some big meanie who's just gonna kill this sweet little baby. That was God's point the whole time. That is a sacrificial lamb in the manger, right? Like I couldn't save myself and God knew that. And in God's grace and in his mercy, the moment before I couldn't save myself and the moment he rushed in, he saved me. Hebrews 9, 22 Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I can't outdo good of my sin. And he knows that. By the way, does that change after you're a follower of Jesus? No, we just we just act that way sometimes. But it's only the blood of Jesus that saves us. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin... To, uh, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You ever find yourself when you're reading scripture, other translations sneak their way in and you start mixing them up even as you read? That's just me, sorry. But listen, uh, Christmas is more than a celebration of the Lord, of the birth of the Lord, but it's also a remembrance of the one who was born to suffer in our place. Like that's the fullness of Christmas, The wages of sin are death in Romans 6.23, but a free gift from God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Now listen, Jai Packer said, The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. And because we've had that moment with the Lord, our eternities are changed forever. Did you this week sit and bask and be baptized in the fact that you are eternal? Did we sit down? Did you just slow down enough this week in the middle of the Christmas hubbub and to say, you know what, Rob? We are gonna reign with Christ forever. And there's no way I could have gotten there without you. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God. But now eternity has been changed. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, I've probably used this in 50% of my sermons in 20 years. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, the only, only thumb that can wipe away tears that come with such heavy weight are the Savior's. He's the only one that can touch your face and make them go away forever, and he will. And that's who we worship. That's what Advent is. So, but never again will we be condemned to pay a price you couldn't afford Never again should you have to feel the weight of your own salvation because the God of heaven already did it. The moment before we meet Jesus, we were overwhelmed with the brokenness of this world. I remember I had this weird conversation. This was right before I met Jen and right before we became believers. I'm sitting with a buddy of mine. We used to go to the village inn at 13th and um 13th and West Street, there was one there. It's where McDonald's was. This is OG, OG kind of talk. We used to spend a lot of our time filling our cholesterol values there at the Village Inn. And I remember him sitting and I and talking, we lived, we had a, a few of us had like a bachelor party pad in Mays called the May's, Mays Mansion. It was a double wide trailer with orange shag carpet and the rotting smell of beer and just funk. And So yeah, it was great. Uh, but he and I were sitting down, and I remember, I don't know why, the Lord always just keeps this in my heart, I was like spewing to him all of the ways like I hated the world and how much anxiety I had over being shot or dying of this. And I mean, just over and over and over and over again, like I was overwhelmed with the brokenness of the world. And then momentarily, and then listen, Jesus, what does he say in John sixteen thirty three? I have said these things to you that you may have peace because in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, the moment before, overwhelmed with the word, the world, the moment after overcomes. Whether you feel it or not, whether I understand it or not, Jesus says, you're an overcomer because I've already overcome the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? The moment before, overwhelmed. The moment after, overfilled. Amen? Romans Eight, thirty-seven 37 through 39. No, and all of these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all the creation, not political unrest, not wars in Ukraine, not your own kids and their funkiness, not your own addictions will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Sin and addiction, nothing. Lukewarm living, hopefully nothing. Broken marriages and relationships, nothing. In Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, God is with us, God is for us, who could be against us? Can we please just like repent of our coffee cup Christianity? If God is for us, who on earth can be against us? Moments before overwhelmed, moments after overcomers, who the God of heaven is on our side, who can come against us? Governments? No. Radical terrorists? No. Your baby daddy? That's another story. Some of that is on you, but anyway, no. Right? <laughs> we won't we'll talk about that today. Um, you are you are not an overcomer. You are an overcomer because of that moment. Amen. And never again will there be a single thing on this earth that can own us or cause us hopeless fear. Never again. The struggle is mentality. The struggle is not truth. The struggle is understanding, the struggle is not what's really happening. What's really happening right now in this room in the midst of our anxiety and fear of the world is we are sitting in the hands of God. Those of us that are followers and lovers and believers of Jesus, we are sitting in the hands of God and the scriptures say nothing can take us out of his hand. The moment before we met Jesus, we were powerless against the enemy. I've run into some people over the years in ministry that give, that have a really, I have a few instances in my head and none of them are here anymore. Uh, Probably because I had weird conversations with them, but people with like really weird demonology, really weird spiritual warfare, like like they're just like succumb to the devil's on me. And you know, we've just over and over and over again, we've had people like that over the years. And and let's say this, before uh, that moment with Jesus, the enemy, boy, he used me like a kickball. Right? I'm just here. I'm there. I'm here. I'm there. I'm buying into all of his garbage. I'm all over the place. But listen, 1 John 3 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus ripped the power of the schemes of the devil. The devil? I don't even know what a devil is, but he made me do it. The devil with the cross. Right, you guys know it's like really bad isogheding, like in the Passion of the Christ, where the demon guy is like at the end. He's like, ah! but I have to imagine when Jesus gave up his life. That you remember that scene where the bald lady that's that's demonic, whatever she was, she's supposed to be the devil. She's like screaming at the end. I just uh, can you imagine what the real Christ of hell were on the on the minute that Jesus was resurrected. Could you imagine what happened at the party, at the demon party? Remember, they probably had little demon office parties, like, well, we finally got them, now what? Well, let's, next we'll make K-pop bands, right? <clears throat> I don't know why. But imagine, can you imagine the shrieks of, of the, the keepers of the darkness when Jesus was resurrected and death had been defeated, and Jesus could just simply say to them, shut up. Give me back those keys. It's done. Well, guess what? Scripture for James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That doesn't happen for people who are living in the moment before The people who can resist the devil and watch him flee are the ones who have been chosen, anointed, and have given their lives to the God of heaven, spirit-filled people. We can resist the devil. The devil flattened my tire. The devil's attacking me. Then smack him. (laughs) Speak the word against him. And go to bed. Go to sleep. Because he's nothing to us. He is a momentary infliction, affliction, that soon and very soon, he's gonna to have to answer for every single thing he's done, along with everybody that follows him. And guess where I won't be? I won't be there. And neither will you if you surrendered your life to Jesus. <laughs> Never again will we have to be at the mercy of the enemy. A moment before Jesus, <laughs> uh, we had no idea what real love was see the manger and that cross story that whole thing this advent thing is is literally the greatest love story that has ever been told because it's the greatest love story that it's the definition of love the scriptures say that god is love right if we read through the scriptures john 316 and 17 what does it say come on owana's graduates it'll be up there just so you can act like you got a badge <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. First John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, you want to know what the love of God is? He, it just said it. God made manifest among us. Jesus was not only God coming to pay a penance, Jesus was God bringing his love to his people in such a tangible way that before before Jesus, I had no idea what love was. I was a great mixtape guy. Where's my mixtape? Some of you made mixed CDs, right? And like, girl, I made you volume six through seven last night some of them are hair bands and that's just great right you just you, you hand over this little for those of you they' are cassettes you used to put them in before CDs they would play songs and music and you'd have to sit by the radio and wait till your favorite DJ would play your song and you hit record except I hated I hated radio so I didn't really have to do that a whole lot right I was I was too cool for radio. But the point was, like, there's this this love song. like, Like, I had no idea. I thought I knew what love was. But then I met this love that is unending, unchanging, and not merited on my behavior at all. The moment before I had an interaction with Jesus, I had no idea what love was. Since then, I have just been getting a glimpse of the love of God more and more and more and more every day. And you know what? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And beyond that, because his presence is with me, his spirit is with me, his, his love baptized my family out of heartache. Just give ahead. a It's the only love that doesn't depend on what you do or do not do. It's the only love that loves you despite of who you are or what you've done. It's supernatural and it lasts forever. Never again will we have to go without knowing what real love is. Amen? About 64 more. Stick with me. Are you good? Can we keep going? Okay, praise God. Here's another one, the moment before we met Jesus, our suffering was just tragedy. Now, if there's anything that, I don't know if you know if you were around back in the day, but I used to get so worked up in sermons where I would start throwing stuff and breaking stuff. Number one, that was dumb because it costs a lot of money. I mean, it wasn't—it wasn't like anger, as in being a jerk. I was like so overwhelmed by Jesus. Like one time, I had this big whiteboard, and I was writing all my sins on it. And then I was like, "This was at the school. I don't know how many of you were there, but I took that whiteboard and I just said, but now, Jesus!'" Ah! And I just threw and chucked this thing across the room. Uh, I used to use uh, music stands as as uh, as pulpits because I would throw them when I got excited. So, thank God for improvement. Amen. But there are very there are few subjects biblically that, that stir my heart that way. Where, uh, man, I was, just a, I was just a suck. Man, I was such a pathetic man. Whined about everything. My mommy did this, and my daddy did this, and I didn't have this. And those were legitimate, but it became my whole life. Like suffering not only was something I went through, it became who I was. Suffering my identity. Like, and some of us are still stuck there sometimes, right? But here's the problem with that. That is not the DNA of a child of God, amen? The moment before I met Jesus, suffering was my identity, but now, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, for all of us, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It doesn't say you won't get beat down. It just says you're going to keep getting up. Right? When we're truly following Jesus, it goes from my identity as suffering to actually suffering is now a badge for me. It's a badge of honor. It's a badge that makes me like Jesus because I've not said I'm not going to suffer for being a Christian, but he says he's going to go through it with me. In Romans eight twenty eight, he says, "Everything that happens, he's going to use it. Everything that happens, he's going to use it for my good." My very calling, when the Lord called me in the ministries, when the Lord said, "Your life is for my glory and not your pity party," that is just a amplification of what I'm trying to tell you. Woe is me! And some of you, some of us in this room, have been through horrible things. I'm not trying to take away from that what I am trying to take away from is you using that as license to act miserable for the rest of your days on earth. Being captivated and being held down and not being free, not able to do ministry, not to have real joy in life because you keep trying to punish the people and yourselves for the things of the past where Jesus says, what are you doing? That's not who you are. You are who I say you are and you are loved and favored. You are strong in me. Listen, never again will we encounter suffering that won't work out for our good and make us more like Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen? (laughs) I'm just going to skip to the last one, Johnny. The moment before we met Jesus, the legacies of our lives and families were on our shoulders. Hey, by the way, for those of you, if you remember life before Christ, how was the outcome of your family looking without Jesus? And and it could go two ways. You don't have to have a bunch of drunks and addicts in your family to say, well, it would have sucked. (laughs) Uh, But you could have just had church attending people who were lukewarm for the rest of their days and went to church and were never the church. You ever, you ever, you ever think about that for a minute? I spend a lot of my time thinking about weird stuff like that. Listen, the legacy of my family before that moment that I had to run in with Jesus—at best, disaster. I love my kids, love my wife. but I had inherited death and I was about to give it again. Even in my best attempts to be good, no matter how hard I tried, I was going to pass on the crap that was passed on to me. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, the righteous who walks... In his integrity, blessed are his children after him. By the way, everybody looks at this as like some legalistic thing. Be righteous and your kids will follow you. Where does righteousness come from? We're only righteous in Christ Jesus. That's the starting point. It doesn't say if you're a good dad, your kids are gonna be good children. It doesn't say that. How many of us have, how many people have good dads and you still end up doing stupid stuff, right? Oh, thank you, Kale. I appreciate that. That's my sign up Oh, that was like an affirmation right there. Oh, it's so. Funny. so I know your daddy issues. Uh, yes, darn it. Um, and some of you are like, well, this and this and this is still not working out. Well, I'm going to tell you, where's your faith? Those are promises of God. He's responsible for championing and chasing after the hearts of your children. But we know that the promises absolutely don't come for people who don't walk with the Lord. And the people that do walk with the Lord, it's a faith issue. On Him, we wait on Him. We wait on the Lord. What I do is going to be forgotten in about two generations. Literally, I mean. Uh, hey, remember that guy that used to throw that whiteboard? Church? Yeah, it was great, right? Yeah, oh that guy. Oh yeah, he used to yell at us a lot, right? Listen, um, I might be a plaque on the wall somewhere in the bathroom someday. Please don't do that. That's just weird. <laughs> right? Just leave me like a blip on the website or something, whatever. I don't care. But I don't care. Hopefully my, hopefully my children knew I loved them. You guys knew I loved you, but very soon I'm going to be forgotten. The only thing that will matter is the legacy of kingdom that I left in my kids and in you. That's the only thing. And that's the only thing I should want I keep trying to live in a way where people will remember me and the problem with that is when I do that, I have to trade off for not living in a way where I remember him. I keep trying to live a lifestyle where people will know me and know of me and know that I did On the other hand, the problem is my comfort, my joy is supposed to come from one place. My identity is supposed to come from one place, not legacy of finances and good colleges and all those things. Those are just secondary things. Listen, Ever again will our children and their children's children have to be at bay to generational curses. (laughs) Man, I look around this room and uh, I've walked with so many of you through so many horrible things. Those were just situations. Mike, all that stuff? Not reality. And it's temporal, the things that are. Never again will we have to live at bay of those things. Right? Kip, never again, bro. Never again will you need to call yourself king of the streets. Never again will you have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Never again. Because in a moment, you met the one who changed everything. The same story happens over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again in this. Never again. Somebody say never again. <laughs> just going to leave you with a few of these <clears throat> transition, just this applicatory things. Number one, Advent is a gift that leads us to look at those moments before Jesus became our world. Can you do me a favor this week? Can you just slow down? And I know it sounds morbid, but man, go back to that kid sitting on the couch with the booze in his hand. Go back there and go look at him. Go look at her. Just begin to thank God. Thank God. For that moment is no longer who you are. What if I'm, what if I'm, this thing's making me mad. What if I'm going through hard seasons? What, when does a hard season negate the fact that we still need to praise God for all he's done? And my, as we praise God for what he's done, current situations start to take their right, rightful place in the, in the back of our hearts. Amen. Here's another one. Point two, I just want you to sincerely from my heart. This should give us the opportunity to check ourselves and make sure we're not living like we were before the moment that we encounter Jesus. Maybe there's way too much gripe. Maybe there's way too much negative. Maybe there's way too much hopeless living. Maybe there's way too much giving into sin and acting like we were the moment before. Sometimes I have to go back to the me, Rob, who's acting like that old Rob, smack him in the face of heaven. Amen? I just want to say this carefully. There are some of you in this house who have been a part of this house for a long time that are still acting in many of the same ways you were 10, 15, 20 years ago. What is the problem? He loves you so much. He's given you so much victory. Why are we still acting and feeling like we were before the moment that He actually came into our lives? Number three, we should just have great hope. Listen, you're facing right now, um, going to move. of you are up against huge things and you are just crying out to god to move and to make a way to make a difference and guess what just rejog our memory right you're momentary crying out to god god please fix this hosanna in this situation god come be there heal my heart listen have hope because he's done it every other time he's going to do it again Like, you could be on a moment. You could be the moment before the God of heaven drops into that situation and changes all things. And even if he doesn't, because he's got a journey for you in it and a purpose, he's still going to walk with you and give you peace through the whole thing. Don't get hopeless. And last but not least, listen, I'm not not an idiot. I realize... uh, that a lot of people just go to church and they hide. But the reality is maybe that you have never really honestly surrendered your life to Christ. Earnestly. Can I tell you something? whether you're out about that and you're very proud of that fact, or you you hide that, can I just say, say this, you are a moment with Jesus away from the fulfillment of your heart. You're just a moment away. It it isn't marking yes on a card. It's not any of that. It's God, you are God, and I believe, and I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you came to set man free, and Lord, I repent, and you are my God, and I will follow you all the days of my life. At that genuine moment, everything's different. And never again will you be a slave to all the other things. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? The beautiful thing about Advent is the baby the one at the cross was the resurrected one he's the one coming again he's the one that said i will go to prepare a place for you in my father's house and his arms are absolutely open wide that we would come and have that moment with him here's the thing about the moment the moments always waiting if you're a believer and you've just started living like That moment has lost its cherishedness in your heart. The king of heaven is still waiting there going, hey, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the same God that was there with you the night before. I'm the same God that was there with you the day after. I'm the God that's there with you now, and I'm the God that will be with you forever. Come back home. Come on home in your heart. As we walk into just a time of prayer, um, I feel like the Lord is here in a special way right now. I believe there are people on one hand that have just not genuinely surrendered their hearts, all of it to Jesus. And I'm not, you don't have to recommit your life to the Lord 16 times. That's not what I'm saying. You should do that in youth group where I'd re-baptize kids like 14 times to make sure they were saved. That's not necessary. If you're having a hard time, that's different than not surrendering your life. If you're living carnally, that's different than not doing that. What I'm saying is if you know that you have not truly surrendered, your life to Jesus now is that day. You want to talk about having a better Christmas? How about you walk in the fullness of the blood and redemption and freedom of Jesus? That's a gift. And there's no buyer's remorse on that one. And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you have been for a long time, but you have found yourself living and acting and thinking like the old you, maybe God has given us this Advent gift to bless you in a way where you just say, all right, daddy, I'm so sorry. I I just come back here to this place again. Jesus, remind me of your goodness, which sounds silly, but man, we need a reminder.